you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. All right, we're getting close to the big showdown in Miami, the Super Bowl. Listen, if you are a Titans fan, if you are a Texans fan, if you are a Vikings fan, if you are someone who just watched the Seahawks beat the Eagles, then you need to get your butt down to Miami to watch our live show. It's going to be the Thursday before the Super Bowl. Tickets going quick. All the information on their website. What is it, Dan? MiamiImprov.com slash events. Get it done. Who are you if you don't go to this thing? Nobody. The Around the NFL Podcast. Ha-ha! This is the podcast right here. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, coming to you from a room filled with heroes Mark Sessler, Chris Wessling, and Greg Rosenthal. What is up, boys? Hey, Dan. Hey, Wild card weekend in the books, and it was one for the books. And that's today's <laughs> right. show. I'll see, you, I'll see you later. And it was wild. It was wild. Until that last game. Not really that Not wild. That wild. It was just kind of sleepy. That one felt 14 hours long to me. The other three, magnificent. <laughs> However, that game was a one-possession game at the end. Yeah. As was every other game Ooh. ended within a possession and two overtime games. And I think the greatest, I call it a West of His miracle, is what I call it. You got, to me, the best West of His game of all time, which we're going to get to later. Well, I felt like the in, <laughs> the fourth quarter and overtime version of Josh Allen was basically the entire Steelers-Bengals game from a while ago. Like the, <laughs> the complete insanity and unpredictable nature of whatever Josh Allen was going to do next. So to me, it's between those two games. He felt the spirit of West of us, and I, you know, I thought about it the night before West of us, West of us Eve, when you know we're all putting our kids to bed, and you know everyone's got dreams of West of us in their head. The only way that Bill O'Brien and the Texans could escape West of us is to win that game, and maybe Josh Allen doesn't he just feel kind of like a guy that could be the the face of West of us in the 2020s. I could see. A lot of first-round losses. That's, that's a grim uh, prognostication for Bills fans. But. I mean, I think he'd be fortunate to be playing multiple playoff games. But Whoa. that's just wow. my feeling after what happened this weekend. Um, yes, yeah, so we're going to get to all of the football. And um, by the way, thank you to everybody who uh, reached out to us. Our Around the NFL broadcast premiered on NFL Network on Friday. Uh, we were really happy with how it turned out. And everyone from fans to inside this building to reporters – uh, that we work with to colleagues outside. We got a lot of positive feedback and also just people wishing us well. And that felt good. That was nice. Also hearing that it was the highest rated half an hour uh, of programming in NFL Network history. <laughs> yeah, you're Especially, hearing that. Yeah, the, the 3 a.m. version. Well, it should have been. There was like a know. lot of uh, replays. And the 3 a.m. version, they just said, was monster. We're Off huge with college kids stoned <laughs> late at night. We're basically Dave Letterman 1982 level like impact on the youth. No less. All right. So thank you to everybody in another show coming up Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, breaking down divisional round. But before that, we got to finish up wild card. And let's start. Let's go. Let's basically go backwards in time, starting with the game that just ended. Let us head to the link. Moore now is 
Wide to the right side with a slot left for Russell, who goes under center. Now Lockett goes in motion. Russell play fake. Now he's going to throw down the middle. Got a man. Metcalf makes the catch diving. He is in for a touchdown. Seahawks. What a play by the rookie, D.K. Metcalf. Gets in behind the secondary, makes a diving catch, hits the ground, gets back up, and then drags the defender to the end zone. 53 yards. What a play by number 14. Simply spectacular. This young man, D.K. Metcalf, he could go down as one of those all-time draft misses going in the second round where everybody pegged him in the first. Seahawks get him because good organizations make smart. You know what the Eagles did? They drafted J-Jaw, our boy Ortega Whiteside, seven spots ahead of DK Mitch. Ouch. That hurts. Steve Rabel with the call for the Seahawks radio network. Yes, Russell Russell Wilson threw a dart. DK Metcalf used every inch of that big frame, got it, rolled to the ground, got up, went into the end zone, and then made another huge catch to basically seal the win for the Eagles late in the fourth quarter. 17-9 for the Seahawks, 17-9 over the Eagles at the link. Seattle's defense piled up seven sacks on Josh McCown and Carson Wentz, who exited this game for good early uh, in the game, in the first quarter, after a helmet-to-helmet hit by Jadavian Clowney. No penalty called. Mark, the banged-up Seahawks go on the road. They get it done. I felt like DK Metcalf was so important because both offenses, and the reason we called the game a little sleepy compared to the other three, just so sluggish in in both attacks, and they were just begging for someone to step up and play the star role, and Metcalf came into full bloom. I think probably a vast majority of casual fans have no idea who this guy was, and you roll in, and now he's a household name, and he completely got it done, and I, you know, my one thought after afterwards watching Josh McCown, uh, the only only the second. 40-plus-year-old quarterback to debut in the playoffs at 40-plus. I mean, Sonny Jurgensen was the other, you know, tears down his face at the end of this because who knows, his career is essentially probably wrapped at this point. Came very close. I thought he played... He played about as well as you could ask someone whose body is essentially um, begging to break down at this point in freezing weather. And, you know, he got hit a bunch. Barely survived the game physically. Barely survived. At one point, it looked like he pulled his butt. I don't know what happened. It just was (laughs) clutching a butt. It could be a torn Ah! hiney scenario. Torn torn hiney. 18 to 24 for 174, though. Like, it really wasn't an embarrassing performance. It was just once they got inside the 15-yard line. But do you feel worse for him or Carson Wentz, who had just, I don't know, the ghosts and the the history of his, his, his run in January is just Let, problematic. Let's, we'll get to Wentz in a second, just since we're on the top of, of McNown, because I think Chris Collinsworth, uh, calling the game uh, for NBC, made the point right before they went off the air that that fourth and seven, uh, right at the two-minute warning, they're at the Seattle 10, they're down eight. But first of all, it felt like there was 80 yards between them and the goal line. It just didn't feel like they had that special moment with in them with McCown behind center. But the there's nobody open. A hole opens up in the offensive line. Josh McCown sees it and instinctually darts, but he's a guy with a some type of glute or hamstring injury. He's 40-plus years old, and what he thought was an open path to the end zone is immediately Jadavian Clowney grabbing him by the ankles and taking him down, and the game was effectively over at that point, and then the big completion to Metcalf sealed the game. But that's the limitations when you have uh, McCown and not Nick Foles and not Carson Wentz behind center. I thought that was one of the big 
themes from Wildcard Weekend, old quarterbacks and quicksand versus pressure. They're sort of doubly cursed because they hesitate a split second when they no longer they no longer believe they can make the throw, and the hesitation ends up killing them when they have to escape pressure and they no longer have the agility to get there. It's funny because, I mean, I remember McCown, the early part of his career well in Arizona. He was a lot of fun to watch. That was his problem back then, too, was leaving the pocket immediately to try to go make a play. But he had the sort of you know, extraordinary athleticism. Sometimes he pulled it off, sometimes he didn't, but he was a lot of fun to watch. You know, he had the same ragtag unit around him that Carson Wentz did, and I don't think it should be lost that I think there were six passing plays with Carson Wentz in the game, and they gained two yards. And now that's a, it's a tiny sample size, but Carson Wentz and this Eagles offense scored nine points the last time they played the Seahawks. They were a rough-looking offense uh, for the last stretch uh, until they played some of these cupcakes in the NFC East. It just is such a shame in, in a season where so many people went down and you never really got to know what this Eagles team would be that we didn't even get to see Wentz try to win this game because who knows it's not like Seattle's offense was rolling in this game and it would have been primed to get picked off right it would have been fun to see Carson Wentz at least give it a shot and it's just a shame it feels so bad for Wentz absolutely it's just unbelievable because he he had worked so hard to get back to this stage after the injuries of the past two years and then to do what he did in December finally get there and then on a suspect hit Mark you and I were talking about a lot downstairs where Clowney essentially dives at uh, Wentz as he's going down and it's a helmet to helmet shot the the lights get turned out on the season for him yeah it's hard to diagnose what's going through defenders minds on these replays but it looked to me that Clowney angled his head to you know use it in a way that the league does not want you to do there was no flag on the play I thought that was that was suspicious and it completely changed the game and you're looking at an Eagles team that mined their way down to the eight yard line at one point the 20 yard line and the 10 and to your point Dan it felt like 80 yards versus eight and they came away with six points I mean they came so, this has to be an extremely frustrating <laughs> frustrating result for Eagles fans because even with McCown in there you had a chance although on some level, I think if you're an Eagles fan or you're on that team, you look at this season and you think, oh, what more could we have done? It just wasn't going to happen for us. The the luck, which is so important, and, you know, maybe they – um, they made their own luck a couple years ago, but there's only so much that, that you can do. The clowny play, I think, is, will be the moment of this weekend that the NFL is most embarrassed about. Not the Kyle Rudolph play, which I think ultimately you know, we'll get to, and, and they'll say that's how they want to officiate pass interference. The clowny one is one they'll apologize for. I mean, I fully expect it. They will find Jadevian Clowney. They will say they missed that call. It, is, it was an obvious missed call. I mean, it's obvious he's going to be paying for that. That's the exact reason the rules in place and it's unfortunate for Wentz and it's unfortunate for the Eagles too that they didn't get a 15-yard penalty out of it. Hats off to the Eagles for making it this far but they weren't going any farther regardless. Right. They were playing with a preseason roster out there. That You've got Josh McCown handing off to Boston Scott throwing passes to Deontay Burnett, Greg Ward and Robert Davis. It's These wild. guys were all in practice squads in October. Shelton Gibson. The defense you know showed up and Fletcher Cox had one of the best games of his career, I thought, and they did a good job controlling Seattle. But their injuries in the secondary showed up too. I mean, Jalen Mills had a terrible game. Avante Maddox had a terrible game. Cravon LeBlanc, um, who's been an injury replacement, didn't pl- play well either. And that's why I love when it was third and 10 at the end of the game, 140 left. The Eagles have one timeout. 
the typical Brian Schottenheimer, Pete Carroll move there might be make them use their last timeout, punt it away, and dare Josh McCown to go down the field and get six points and a two-point conversion because you know that's not likely. But no, they threw a deep shot to Metcalf over the top because to them, that's like a they, they're better at that than a 10-yard out. Like I trust them more to go way down the field to Metcalf than a 10-yard out. So they did what the Seahawks did, and that I feel like is at least an appropriate and a, a more enjoyable ending to what was kind of a disappointing Well said. I would say the biggest subplot in this game, I can't believe we haven't gotten to it, is that coming into this affair, bird versus bird teams in the playoffs. The <laughs> you were home, all over this. The home bird team was 10-0 and historically. That is, uh, that's huge. And now the record falls to 10-1 and because and of what happened today. Anyone that had a negative tweet about the NBC animation of these said birds flying through the air, the graphic... I block them immediately from my Absolutely. Feet. Not Why only is there, not just a mute, you were blocked. It's offensive behavior to take on that, that, was that there, production. Was there a large groundswell? Uh, huge. Russell Wilson, by the way. <laughs> Go uh, Hawks. Uh, what was that, Russell? Go Hawks. Okay, I got you. Um, threw for 325 yards. It. He led the team with 45 yards rushing. This is not the iconic Russell Wilson game. Go uh, Hawks. But, okay. Uh, but you understand that how important this guy is to this team and why, even though you know they'll be going to Green Bay to face the Packers, why the Seahawks, who are beat up, are not a team to discount in the divisional round because as long as he's on the field, magic can happen. And Jadavian Clowney, I, I, I've been on him a little bit because he's always hurt and you know he's going to command a massive salary and I would be totally terrified if a team like the Jets were to do that uh, Mm. uh, come free agency. But again, and we've talked about this before, this guy does have a habit, Wes, of showing up in these big impact games and he was a nuisance all day long for uh, McCown and Wentz. Certainly Wentz. Well, yeah, playing against an offensive line, missing a couple of starters and like you said, to come back from injury and be a factor – and back to Russell Wilson for a second. He still is, still has the best, sexiest deep ball in the league. And then I think back to that third and 15 where he rushed for – scrambled for oh, 18 that was yards. Yep. And that was a huge play in the game. Yeah, I'm amazed. Like when Marshawn Lynch first got his carry in last week's game, it's like the whole newsroom's going wild. Like people, people are so excited on Twitter for his first carry back. And then I think the reality is set in here that the Marshawn Lynch, Travis Homer duo combined for 19 yards on 17 carries. <laughs> oh it's a big so, problem. The, the kind of offense they want to be. That's, right. That's, so their their running game is is no. is a little bit of a mess. You know, it was a tough matchup today against Philadelphia. They smartly threw it more. But, one's yeah. bow legged and the other one's pot belly. Uh, yeah. And at one point you had. <laughs> Marshawn Lynch, you had Marshawn Lynch, Robert Turbin, and Josh McCown in this game. I mean, it felt like a time machine to 2015. Homer, 11 carries for 12 yards. Marshawn, six for seven. Did get that touchdown? He did. It was nice. That was his long of the day, a five yard rush. Um, That's 17 rushes for 19 yards. And by the way, Seattle, they did the same thing. I've talked about it on the podcast before, uh, interviewing Pete Carroll the year that Russell Wilson got uh, drafted. Okay. And uh, Matt Flynn was just signed to a free agent deal, and Carroll's just like, ah, don't you know? Don't forget about this guy we drafted. This this kid is the real deal. He could play, and it sounded like a coach just being overly positive. And then he turned out to be a Hall of Fame quarterback. He was the same way with DK Metcalf all through the summer That's program. Yeah. He's like, I'm installed. This guy is going to be one of our top weapons. And usually you're like, oh, okay, the coach is being overly optimistic. But I think he's earned the benefit of that. When they see somebody that they feel like they've hit on and can make an immediate impact, mm. it happens. This but guy's a stud. Right. Metcalf, Lockett looks healthy. David Moore made a play today. Hollister's there. It's, it's a passing game 
with Wilson obviously being, you know, the absolute key, that can scare you. Like, this is not – they are a banged-up team, but I think they're – just because they lost their running backs, it's been a little overstated. If they could ever get Dwayne Brown back, their left tackle, that would be huge. But for the most part, this is the Seahawks team that managed to win, you know, 11, 12 games this year now. Well, that's Another one-score win. That's been sort of the tension of the Carroll-Russell Wilson era, that right. Pete Carroll's formula is running the ball – but the offense is often at its best when they just let the play break down and let Russell Wilson throw the ball. Well, I noticed, you know, especially in that Week 17 game, how much <laughs> quick, more quickly Russell Wilson was to run the ball. Like Go he off. decided, just say the quarterback. Okay, just stop it. Um, <laughs> I mean, our soundboard is. <laughs> I like it. Drag through in the white flag. Uh, he he decided in the second half of the 49ers game, like, enough of this. I've barely run this year. I'm just going to start running. And that was the key to them almost scoring four straight touchdowns against the 49ers, and he kept it up today. All right. So there you go. One uh, outcome. The Seahawks move on, as I said, to Green Bay to face the Packers next week. Let's now check out uh, the other Sunday ball game. It was a shocker. Third and goal from the four. Kirk takes the snap. Looks right. Fade left. End zone. And it is caught. Touchdown! Amazing decision by Kirk Cousins. He saw the all-out blitz. He knew he had Rudolph one-on-one with the corner. Rudy! And just threw the jump ball. Oh, what a beautiful throw. Bonjour, San Francisco. And au revoir, New Orleans Saints. (laughs) What? Paul Allen and Pete Versich of the Vikings Radio Network having some fun in the booth. And why not? Because Kirk Cousins, yes, that Kirk Cousins connected with Kyle Rudolph for a four-yard score in the first possession of overtime. It wiped away both the Saints and a former reputation for somebody. 26-20, the final at the Superdome. Three plays before the Randolph game winner, Cousins threw a perfect strike to Adam Thielen. Um after they won the overtime coin flip to set up Minnesota at first and goal. And, uh, boys, you know, football, man, it's funny. (laughs) This is a funny sport. I mean, sports, this is why I love sports in general, because you could think you know everything and then reality sets in. Oh, yeah. We know, yes, Mark, we know nothing. Uh, But not, not many people gave the Vikings a chance in this game. Certainly nobody in this room. Um, I picked the Saints to win the damn Super Bowl, so my bracket's pretty busted up. Bracket, uh, but they, you know, the Vikings were clearly well. Did it we, is a bracket. I mean, it's, Did it's, we make bracket? It's a, just a minor NFL bracket. Ultimately, it's a bracket. Yeah. Is what I'm saying, though. Yep. Uh, but they were the, the Vikings were the better team on Sunday, and uh, and we're gonna get into Kirk Cousins because that was such a huge drive. And Greg, you had the great tweet, which I banged you on a retweet, that it seemed to be going <laughs> Let all me know about it a lot. All downhill in a bad way for the Vikings. 13 yards in their last three possessions of the fourth quarter. They lose a 10-point lead, but then he makes those two marvelous throws uh, in overtime, including the game winner, which some people might have an issue with, and we'll get to that, the the officiating on the play. But here was one of the great locker room scenes of the season, Kirk Cousins after the game with his teammates. That's how we've won all year, team, right? Yes, hey, you held them to 20 points, man. Yes, sir. We gave us a chance at the end. But I got three words for you. You like that? Yeah! 
<laughs> I know it's cheesy, Greg, but you know you gotta feel good for Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I know I'm a cynic because my immediate thought was like, you know what's gonna fire up the guys? Like the three word catchphrase I had with the Washington Redskins. <laughs> I believe you called him a corn blank after oh, yeah, the game. You yeah, you, uh, you know you what? But he's a, he's a great one. He's a great. He's a great one. What a performance, uh, Wes. You know, do your thing, Wes. What, what were your thoughts as you watched uh, Kirk Cousins? He celebrate. Che- he checks all of the narrative boxes, which is why he's been a laughing stock on Twitter. Like every starting quarterback in the NFL, he, it depends on week to week whether he's celebrated or vilified. They live this high wire act. Then when you sign that contract, it's even more of a microscope. Then when you fail in primetime games when all the eyeballs are on you, it's even more of a microscope. And he has to earn the benefit of the doubt. And I think when Troy Aikman said that's the best throw of his career right here, that's when he earned the benefit of the doubt from a lot of people. I've seen him in, a, in that building before where he shook off a helmet-to-helmet hit and against a blitz in which he got clobbered, nailed a 40-yard pass to Ryan Grant for a touchdown against Woo! the Saints in a big game a couple years ago. And I've been a believer since then because he's demonstrated the ability to do this. The only question is, can you do it? As Dan has said, when the lights are on. And he hmm. did it, and you could people can try. The West was right this whole time. And Dan, it was, Dan I and I are way more way. in lockstep than we're in yeah, chasm. I don't feel and like there are too many a... people on Twitter were like saying, oh, Dan, you had it wrong. I never said he couldn't do it. I only said he never did do it. And it always seemed weird because he was such a prolific producer, and he's a guy that stays on the field and, and racks up yardage and touchdowns. So it never kind of made sense that he never was able to have a moment like this. And it took and, it took a long time, but he got it. Anybody that moves the goalposts on him now, I think it's wrong. I certainly won't because he did author the moment that alleviates doubts. And it's a type of win, seek Manning, comma, Eli, that can put you on a big postseason run. Watch out. Yeah. It's the so like an undeserved like- one? <laughs> I think, Let it go, man. Uh, Dan, I think all along it's the drama you liked, like the, the human interest story of this guy. It's a great storyline, yeah. yes. Here, here's the thing, though. Like, it still takes a ton of luck that maybe he just didn't have in other games where he did play well. If Dalvin Cook, you know, when we thought Dalvin Cook fumbled and the Saints returned it, it you know, Cousins doesn't get that chance. If they lose the coin toss, Cousins doesn't get that chance. But he's not a different Kirk Cousins than he was before he made those plays. He, he was always a good quarterback. The thing I like that, I don't know if it's changed, but I like that the Vikings showed some aggressiveness in overtime and throughout the fourth quarter in letting him throw. Not always, but third and one in, in that overtime drive, they go shotgun and he, throw, yeah. he throws it to yep. Dalvin Cook. That throw to Thielen, certainly. And then I'm thinking when it was 13-10 midway through the third quarter and it, and it just felt like the Vikings were dominating, but they were only up three points. And Cousins made a, a couple of throws on that drive. One for the the third down near the goal line where he's on the run to Stefan Diggs. Another really great throw to Adam uh, Thielen. And those to me, are just as important almost as the overtime throws because it set you up, and they were they were beautiful plays, and he was clearly the better quarterback on the field today. Well, there there was a there was a section of the game though where I thought the best quarterback on the field was Taysom Hill, and I'm not just right, saying that that's for, for my own uh, leanings towards him. I find him to be a fascinating player, shotgunned out of you know decades of old, and he does a little bit of everything. And you know, Breeze had that killer fumble, very uncharacteristic, his first fumble of the year. But not everyone was so happy with this result. Uh, my son Luke, who is a Saint. Saints fan all of a sudden over the what? past couple of months. Check out this reaction. Oh, got to see this. Saints have to win <laughs> oh, no. because he 
<laughs> and you know, I just look at the shirt. You got them a shirt too. Yeah, because it's like I want them to Safety. the same way I did in my household, find their own teams. And and Colton is an Eagles fan, so it's been a rough Sunday on the home Ooh, front. Better uh, than Browns, though. Way and better. They got to watch a way playoff better. game today. It, it, yes, yeah. it's like, but it's you know, I I find this to be I, the, the thought that I had was I feel like every year it's Sean Payton having to endure these terrible, hideous playoff losses and how long the journey of this season is to think that you got to go back into mini camps, all this nonsense to get back to this point again. And it's been twice against the Viking Vikings in a couple of years. That Absolute is really rough. Crusher of a loss for the Saints and the whole organization. We are, you know, I do the pain, pain rankings and I've always kept it to teams that are star-crossed and never even can get off the ground. It's just a horrible fan experience. But there is the like second tier of pain rankings for teams like the Saints and Packers that have a lot of January heartbreak. This is three straight years that their season has ended on a walk-off play. Well, not to mention the first 40 years of their organization. Where they had right. bupkis. <laughs> and this season especially, and like I said, I picked them to win the Super Bowl because it just felt like everything was crescendoing for this team. They had averaged 40 points a game in the four weeks weeks leading up to this game. You had a Vikings team that looked like it was coming in as a dead team walking, and this felt like a number three seed that was going to be wreaking havoc on the NFC, and now they're golfing. And right. it just it makes no sense and that, to And not me. to mention that the game, and, you know, I understand you could be in either camp. The game ends on yet another questionable decision surrounding pass interference. I just didn't have a problem with it. Well, Greg, I, I know you did. I didn't have a problem with it, but if I have a problem with the rule. If there's going to be a rule, use the rule. They said, okay, they looked at it. Maybe, maybe That's a lo- their cover on uh, No, I know they did yeah. look at it. I mean, it's not like I doubt that they looked at it just like we did. They had the time, but they quickly decided both, both um, the defender, you know, Williams and um, Kyle Rudolph, Kyle Rudolph, you know, had some contact on the play. I mean, please. This, this has roots in the early 90s when Chris Carter and Michael Irvin and those guys were allowed to start pushing off, and that wasn't a thing before the early 90s. Right. So, so Terry McCauley, the NBC rules analyst, and the ESPN John Perry. rules analyst both go on Twitter after the game and they say, that's offensive pass interference. I mean, you can't tell me— it's not just, called it consistently. Right. Though. You can't tell me looking at it if they had called it on the—both of them said the same thing, which is what I thought. If they called it on the field, there's no way they would have overturned it the other way. I don't mind that they didn't overturn it. I just—what is the rule there for that? So your, exactly. your, your issue with it ultimately is that they didn't— have the stoppage to look at it formally. You didn't. It wasn't as drastic as the 49ers uh, Seahawks one. But I also think, as Wes has pointed out well all year, the, the way they've officiated the rule has changed throughout the year. And so that creates a confusing sort of baseline. And if, if they're trying to overturn pass, inter- like if we're trying to review pass interference, review pass interference, it was pass interference. I'm glad it didn't get overturned, though. I thought that there was two guys jostling. It was a little bit of a push off, but to, it was if a you, pretty it, strong, it, like stiff arm there. Listen, these these are grown men fighting for a ball. And I know, I, but that, the only problem is that it's that's ah, the rule. Like, were, why does the rule exist if it's if it's arbitrary? Depending on you know you, these cobbled together officiating crews at this point, they're not even the same. It, it is crazy. But I'm just, who are you guys upset with the the official on the field for missing it or I'm not, Ron I'm, Rivera? I'm for, not. I'm not that upset. But I'm. Al upset, Ron, I'm upset I mean, with the rule, like in general, of adding this extra layer of confusion and them not being consistent. Because here's the reality: they have buzzed down and looked at far 
like less infractions than that in the final two minutes of games right. all season. And guaranteed right? next week it'll happen again. Right. I mean, they'll, it, they'll, it, they'll call happened. it now. Next I, th- week, I yeah? think it almost feels like they've stepped back from, they don't want this rule to be a big deal. They don't, it, as not just PR, but I think they look at it as like, they don't want this to be the story. And they've taken a step back from the rule without actually changing the rules. Uh, I, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, let's get back into football analysis here. Sure. I just want to credit Everson Griffin and Daniel Hunter for controlling and whooping an offensive line that we said had the best tackle tandem in the NFL. And it has to be disturbing how old Drew Brees looked in that game where they could only move the ball when Taysom Hill was involved. Well, Griffin and Hunter are among the best duos in the entire NFL. And they said after the game, they gave an assist to the Atlanta Falcons. How great a day it is for Atlanta Falcons fans. Not only do you get to see the Saints blow it again, but the Vikings called them out by saying, we saw what the Falcons did to them in terms of creating pressure in the middle. And we copied a lot of what they did because they really didn't beat the tackles too often. Ramchek did have a couple bad plays, including on the forced fumble, which was a massive play. But for the most part, they got that pressure going over the guards. They moved Hunter and Griffin on the inside and they really whooped Andrews Pete and, and Warford over and over again to give the Falcons an assist. Well, you know, and you, and you know, the way to get Drew Brees uncomfortable, <laughs> get pressure up the middle, get sure. in his face, yeah. get him, you know, the book. get those sure. feet moving. Uh, yeah, I, I, I thought Alvin Kamara was another guy that jumped out to me. Um, Wes, you, you had pointed out that it didn't, despite there being a bit of a narrative building that he was getting back to himself, he could not have looked any less explosive today. There were several plays Never got that he left chunk plays on the field where he just couldn't keep his feet or make a linebacker miss. I mean, this guy was not the same player, and that's a major story why this they lost today. I think you can tell with him when he's used in the passing game to destroy linebackers, and he hasn't even been used like that in two months. They don't. Mm. They just hand him the ball now. They don't really use him as a receiver like that. I mean, this is why you know I try not to get too carried away with momentum like going into the playoffs because they had scored 36 and a half points a game over the last seven weeks. The Vikings, of course, are coming off uh, a really rough week 16, but they got to sit in week 17, whereas the Saints were trying to get that by and you know, they could have easily been at home and waiting till the divisional round if the Lions had finished off the Packers or if the Seahawks had gotten a break or if 13-3 and three had been enough for a bye, which it would be almost any other year. But they got terrible luck uh, in all those cases. Like, it, a lot of times, like... It's not. It doesn't come down to luck, but that that's it's such a big factor in, in who. Well, I think we should also slow down on the conclusions we come to sometimes during the week. I mean, I you know I assumed that the Saints were just going to absolutely obliterate the Vikings, and it couldn't have been more wrong with for this. a fifty burger. I did. I this is normally a Greg territory item, but the Saints not using a timeout with twenty one seconds left when there was the the penalty in the runoff, and they wind yeah. up before the regulation ends having to kick a field goal instead of, instead of another shot at the end zone. They wasted another timeout, too, with about five minutes left. They did not handle the, that end situation well. They also didn't take the timeout at 2.40 left, which is you know, kind of the conventional way to do it because that's you can really control the clock, and they waited till after the two. For a veteran coach and a QB, uh, it wasn't great. By the way, one last note. I mean, very, very fortunate that when the sky cam tumble down from the uh, wires and netting above the stadium that it didn't land on like an entire offensive line or something. We should give uh, 
Yeah, that, that, imagine if that did happen. What would have happened? You, you would have won sandwiches somehow. Nice uh, moment sure. for Kevin Stefanski, by the way. If he's going to uh, lot of get time. a head, of head coaching job, that last that Attractive man, by the last way. drive right was there. pretty good. It, it's a reminder to this <laughs> this Vikings team. is. You so, want me to agree with you right now, but I'm just going to leave you on an island. I know, but you were bringing it up, too. It's like I, <laughs> I don't know what you're you, talking yeah, about. You said, Mark, you thought Cousins and Stefanski might be the best-looking QB Well, I think Stefanski is the Stefanski is the power source there. I mean, he's he's probably the of the two, but if you, I'd have to go through through the the iterations of every team, we know, we know what Mark likes know. now. We we know. Well, I mean, he's a bit, he you, you could sell Mark that head coach Stefanski as a head coach to people pretty easily. Adam Thielen, we, we should point it might be the MVP of this game. I mean, he seven for two, one twenty nine on nine targets. The two big plays of the game were incredible catches from him. Like the thirty four yarder in the third. He also fumbled, had okay, a bad that's penalty. That's fair. He early up, on, though. early on. But he made a difference. I mean, their team is totally different with Thielen and Cook, which should be like an obvious point, but they suddenly, they're going to San Francisco and they look pretty dangerous. He gets 129. Cook uh, goes for, what, uh, over 125 yards? Yeah, 126 from scrimmage and two touchdowns. Like, that was the engine to their offense. Is there any scenario where week one next year, Sean Payton and Taysom Hill are the coach and quarterback combination for the Saints? no. Taysom Hill, though. Taysom Hill is going to get a starting shot somewhere at some point. Not as a quarterback. I don't know. Today. I Taysom Hill had the biggest run for the team. He had the biggest pass for the team. And he had the second biggest catch for the team. And the also biggest the catch was... blocker De- on Kamara's touchdown. And the biggest catch was Deontay Harris. So it's yeah. th- very weird. And he almost had an iconic drive the where they were driving to take the lead. And he was almost responsible for all the yardage. And that's right. when Drew Brees fumbled. He's right. Almost like a shot at you. Breaking tackles. That was like supposed to be your moment. And right. Drew took it away from well, you. Well, it's... You Maybe know, a that's little where Daniel Hunter took it away with that Euro step pass ram check. That was He's doing things that guys haven't done for literally 100 years. It's like Jim mm. Thorpe came back to life. And he's uh, sneaky old. He's turning 30 this year. Vikings I'm saying fans, someone should give him a shot. Actually, I would like that. The Vikings right. and Seahawks fans have to feel like this NFC, even though the, I'm not saying the 49ers and Packers aren't like wor- you know, good buy teams, they have to feel like they got a shot here. That it's not a year where it's just predestined one of, one of these buy Just teams. beat Dan's Super Bowl team, so <laughs> off and running. They got. Who's your Super Bowl team? Well, I wasn't asked to do this <laughs> I exercise. We, I, I don't make, have a bracket. I mean, I just, back I, in September, what was it? I, I oh, I believe it was uh, – well, I know what it was. This is embarrassing. It was Browns over Eagles. So, you know, why am I hired as an analyst? Let's start with that question. All right. Let's, uh, let's, this is halftime now. We're going to get to the Saturday games. But before that, there was some news. and It was classic Cowboys uh, dropped in the middle of an Eagles playoff game. Uh, the end of Jason Garrett, <laughs> the awkward ending – of Jason Garrett as head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. The team made it official on Sunday that um, they would be parting ways. There would be no agreement on a contract extension, not tip, not uh, not a firing in the classic sense, but it, it is what it is. We have a missive here from Jared Jones, the owner and GM. We are extremely grateful to Jason Garrett for his more than 20 years of service to the Dallas Cowboys as a player, assistant coach, and head coach. His tenure of leadership will be characterized by his ability to produce teams that always played with great effort, emotion, and passion. And he represented our organization with great pride, <laughs> loyalty, and respect. Sounds uh, like Wes's uncle. He went on to add that his legacy in Dallas is always going to be as one that str- he strived for greatness and was a, a, a class act, which is all true. Uh, but ultimately, Wes, uh, 10 years there. 
nine and a half. He took over for, I guess, what was it, Wade Phillips? Uh, and they never got to a Super Bowl, and they, they busted out this year, and it was well overdue. Bill Pullian, who is a Hall of Fame general manager, built the built Super Bowl teams in Buffalo and Indianapolis. He has a book in which he, he outlines about 11 different qualities you look for in a head coach. And a lot of these are organization, leadership, communication, emotional stability, character, work ethic, player respect, public relations. Those are the things I feel like Jason Garrett does well. And then right in the middle are three, three very important qualities. Vision. Do you have a clear picture of how you want your team to play and look and implement that vision and keep it there when the pressure is on? Strategy. Are you making the Are you the one making the game management decisions with the game on the line? Flexibility. Can you adjust to trends around the league? I think these are the three areas where Jason Garrett struggles, and he's really good in the leadership areas and the player, the public relations areas, the character areas. He, but I think most NFL coaches are good at that stuff. You want the ones who separate themselves with the strategy. Well, there's, there's one more on the list for Jerry Jones and the Cowboys, which is be fine with everything Jerry Jones does. And don't don't make us think about it. That's like the most important thing I think Jerry Jones looks for in a head coach. And Garrett excelled is, at that. Is someone that just goes along with the owner being by far the most important voice and GM and everything else and cover for it and like really take the PR aspect of the job as a huge part of the job. So is this a good job when you factor in that that's a reality? The roster's so good that it's a great job. I think it is. Well, it, it depends. Can it's you tricky. be a guy that can work? No, with I like Jones? like I think if you were Bill Belichick at any point in his life, he would say no. Like he the Cowboys didn't miss the playoffs this year because Jerry Jones uh, mangles his way into situations. They missed the playoffs because they didn't play up to the talent. And I don't think the you know you look at the Bill Parcells run in Dallas. He found a way to make it work with. They weren't Not for there, that long. No, but there weren't immense power struggles. I mean, but I would say if I mean, you're the Cowboys, less, you know, playoff wins and Jason Garrett, so right? It didn't but work that way. Well. But the Cowboys in general, because and I, it's obviously always annoying to me that they could go two and fourteen and be put on five primetime games a year. That's been a, that's always that's always been tedious in my world. But you look at the <laughs> NFC. And only two teams, the Lions and Redskins, have gone longer without an NFC title game appearance. 27 years for those teams, 23 for the Cowboys. Mm, never and I get it. that half the play by half the color analysts, like in the league, are former Cowboys uh, quarterbacks and fullbacks and everything else. But what is lost sometimes is the long, consistent run of not doing enough in Dallas. Well, I, not getting there. I think this week is a great example of why. I think it was. Jerry Jones purposefully kept this thing in the news all week because he thinks it's an infomercial about the power of the Cowboys brand. And then he waited until the Eagles are playing to drop the news. Like, that is not an accident. He, he's oh, like, okay, well, our, yes. the NFC East is, is you know, isn't the best division, but I'm still going to stick it to the <laughs> Eagles by being the biggest story during this. All right, well, I'll tell game. you what. He might be happy with how this played out over the last week, but I thought it was a terrible look for the Cowboys. It made them seem indecisive and downright silly at times when you're hearing all these reports of these people are interested in and you still got Garrett in the building. And he interviewed Marvin Lewis and Mike McCarthy, well, according Marvin to reports. Marvin Lewis, that's going to be the guy you bring in to fix this? Oh, my God. How is well, he, how is he is different than Jason Garrett in terms of that list of qualities? Come on. He's not. Well, he would. I think he would. You go, you go along with. He would subscribe he, to that rule. Go along with whatever Jerry wants. He also has a vision, though, with defense, whereas with Jason Garrett, I'm not sure what his vision is. Mm. And, By the way, bad move, like, and I, I don't typically cry for reporters, but having to drag the 
people like Jane Slater, our friend, Bad week friend of the for show, everybody, yeah. dragging them through the mud for an entire you know <laughs> well, hundred and something hours. A totally muddled, bizarre process. Not to dragging through the mud is a little strong. I don't know. It's like it's like it's the you know it's essentially the holidays still to some degree. I mean, what are we doing? It's like, it's I like, don't think it's I fair. Mean, they, they didn't survive like a POW kid. I'm not what, saying what that it's, it's, not, it's not, you know, total hard luck scenario for these people. Job openings in Carolina, Cleveland, New York. Does Jason Garrett get a job? No. I say no. Well, I, you suggested he takes a year off, but also noted that he's not getting paid like a lot of these I other see, sabbaticals. He's also rich as hell. I so see I, Cleveland he maybe interviewing him. I don't know. I think Cleveland is moving quickly towards mm. a coach from a team we'll talk about soon. I see Garrett as a guy that will do well, just like Mike McCarthy got some pop here by sitting out a year, and he'll get somebody else's job next year. We'll see. But I we'll also see. am curious to see if Mike McCarthy really did get pop and whether he gets another job. Huh? I've, been skeptical. I've been skeptical about That's that fair. from day one. That's fair, dog. All right. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about this more uh, in the week ahead, but let's now get back to the NFL action Saturday. This is the day I liked. <laughs> you can remember it? Brady in the end zone. <laughs> takes the snap. Barely. Looks. Fires. Pass. Batted up in the air. Intercepted. And returned for a touchdown. Titans. Logan Ryan with nine seconds to go. Batting it up in the air, I do believe, was Brock on a pass intended for Sanu. And Logan Ryan has returned it for a touchdown. That's the first time in franchise history that they have returned an interception for a touchdown. Ooh, listen how quiet it is. That's an amazing stat. Oh, meanwhile, the throw to Sleaze. Bob Sochi. Excuse me, that was, of course, Mark Vandermeer. No, that was Mike Keith with the call. Too excited right now. (laughs) Yes, former Patriot Logan Ryan snatched a deflected Tom Brady pass out of the air. Nine yards to the house. It was the clinching play in the Titans' 2013 win over the Patriots in Foxborough. Derrick Henry won over 200 total yards of offense for the second straight week as the Tom Brady offense gradually declined into nothingness. <laughs> it happened. It really did happen. You're right. Uh, Wes, we watched this game together at Rocco's in Culver City. Indeed we did. And it felt like the end of an era, didn't it? It did. And I look back at sort of the last five years, and Brady looked finished against the Chiefs five years ago when everybody panicked. He looked finished the first half of the Falcons Super Bowl. He looked finished against the Titans last year in the regular season. He looked finished for the past two months, and I've never seen him look more finished than I did in this game against the Titans, where he looked to me like Kurt Warner or Brett Favre playing their last game against Mm. the Saints. It just seemed like it's time to go out. What a career, all the respect in the world. But he just couldn't do anything against the defense where a lot of teams have been doing things against them. Yeah, they had a good plan that the Titans did, I thought. It they're forcing the Patriots to go down the field. There's no big play element. He had a couple throws in this game. First of all, it's not the end of Tom Brady's career. He made that clear. He he, he said... Well, let's listen to Brady, who, who said he was... What was the highly unlikely was his word about retirement? Yeah. Uh, here's a little Tom Brady. I love the Patriots. I mean, they, they, they obviously, uh, you know, they got a, it's the greatest organization and, you know, playing for Mr. Kraft all these years and uh, for Coach Belichick. I mean, there's... Um, you know, there's nobody who's had a better career, I would say, than me, you know, just being with them. So I'm very blessed, and I don't know what the future looks like, so and I'm not going to predict it. So 
By the way, he said pretty unlikely, not highly unlikely. Pretty unlikely. It, it based on what people, you know, the reporters that are closer to him and, and those comments, it sounds like he fully expects to play next year at this point. I guess that could change. I think the, you know, the best analysis on it, Mike Reese is saying, like, there's no, Brady has no idea what he wants to do. So everyone who's saying this, like, I think he really is waiting, was waiting till this all ends. But I think contractually, it's going to be a game of chicken. And we'll be talking about this so much in the future weeks. I think we, we can talk about this game more. But I think, he knows that he has a lot of leverage because the Patriots have $13.5 million in, in a cap hit, a dead cap hit, if he's not on the roster next year, whether he retires or he plays for another team, which is a huge amount of leverage because they don't want to be paying you know, the ghost of Tom Brady to not be on the team necessarily. I think they probably would be happy to have Brady back at, at a certain rate, but if he wants to max out all the money that he can, there might be uh, better offers elsewhere, and it gets you know very complicated. But he has financial leverage, but what he doesn't have is, I'm sure it's got to be in the back of his mind. He's one of the all-time great competitors. He has to know... Uh, that he's not the same guy anymore. And he knows that but Bill I, knows but that. But I think there's right. such competitive... People like him or, or Belichick, I think, are such competitors that they'll look at the last couple months or even the last few games and they'll look at the great throws he made last night. I mean, he made more great throws in that game than Ryan Tannehill did, certainly. They outgained, uh, you know, the Titans. He, he had three or four throws that were just absolute dimes, and then the rest of it, they look slow, but they can say, well, that was the outside receiver. This has been a problem throughout the year, and maybe it's You're all... giving him too much credit. When, yeah, if he's Three not years ago, right when now. he was... MVP, what right. did we say about him? Unlikely at age 39 that he suddenly got better in pocket movement. He, right. he, he is moving away from pressure. He cannot escape pressure. He's he, like Eli right now when it comes to escaping he can't, pressure. And, and I think one of the disappointing things from this game is that the offensive line played really well. I thought they controlled the game. They gave Brady time. For the most part, they opened up holes in the running game. There were opportunities to be had throughout the game. But what stands out to me as a Patriots fan that very much that this era, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's back next year, and it would be the most like Patriots thing ever if they're playing on wildcard weekend as the AFC East champs again next year. Like I just don't think that is that far out of the realm of possibility because we've seen that it's more than just the quarterback this year. Right. But the way that they went down meekly, like think about the fourth downs that they didn't go for. They didn't go for a fourth and four on the 37-yard line, their own 37 with 317 left. They didn't go for a fourth and three on the Tennessee 47-yard line in the fourth quarter. They didn't go for the fourth and three on the goal line after not being able to score from a foot out, and they were stuffed on fourth and one at midfield in this first half and didn't go for it then either. That's four different times that the Patriots offense said, no, we're going to punt away to the best offense in the league right now because we trust our defense more than we trust Tom Brady to figure out how to get three I'd yards. say this That's too. That's a bold statement. Logan Ryan won the game with a pick six. Brady is very lucky with the 37 attempts for 209 yards and an interception that Logan Ryan didn't have a second pick six at the end with 18 but seconds. But that was not a drop pass. It was just kind of like a I, fluke I, But I, I, I just don't see... Uh, Tom Brady, if you like the Patriots or not, 
is one of the most fascinating athletes of our entire lifetime, and I'm not sure he'll ever be topped at quarterback again. I just don't. I don't care about the young guys today. His career is fascinating to me, and I don't want to watch two years of what I've seen no, that's in the last why couple months. When they won the Super Bowl last year, I said I wanted him to retire. I mean, when they won the Super Bowl against Seattle, I, I sort of wanted him to retire because I was like, what? I mean, do you want to see Tom Brady playing 16 more games after what you've seen the last – Two, three I don't months? think he was healthy either. I'll throw that out there. But I mean, he's we, almost never, never going to be healthy. I would at be, point. yeah, I would be very so, curious to see someone else playing. But I also, I it wouldn't be, I wouldn't mind. Like if they brought him back, it's like what else are they going to do? I wonder I, what other Patriots fans feel about it. Well, want, Ricky, how about you? You are someone that's lived and died, uh, really with all glory for with fandom of this team. Do you want Tom Brady back in 2020, or do you think it's time to move on? I mean, it's it's both. He's like you said, Mark. He's the greatest quarterback of all time, and you and it's it hurts to see him. And I I, I was sitting there watching the game, being like, wow. If that's his last throw in Gillette, it's a pick six. Like that hurt me more than the loss because it's like his legacy is so cool. Greg, why are you smirking? No, I'm not. I'm just saying, like, who cares? I, I don't. The last pass thing, like, Greg's that's a not his. Denial. That's no, but not this his is legacy. her opinion. Yeah, though. yeah, I get she it. can also I finish what she was saying. So it's so it, yes. it was upsetting. It was upsetting, but also it's like, look at all that he had. I know it's like, oh, he didn't have enough weapons around him. His elbow looked better than with the throws that he was making from the past couple months. We, he, you know, what's he gonna do? Check down to running backs the whole time. There's there's no one to throw to. So if for some reason he could come back with. More than just Edelman, I I would want to give it one. That, more I go. think Erica hits on something there that jumped, well, Edelman was a jump huge out problem, to me. Though. I will I'll say this that this is the first year to me that Belichick really and Greg, you could probably point out a year here or there over the last twenty where they just didn't do a good job helping him out because everyone that follows the sport looked at the Week One roster and said. I don't know, man. He doesn't have a lot working for him. Gronk was out of the picture, and the Patriots told you they weren't confident about the situation either when they went out and got Antonio Brown, as nefarious as that move was. They didn't do a good job protecting him with weapons, and what I think, what if I had to guess what happens here and how this plays out is that he does come back, and maybe they do try via free agency or the draft to surround him with better talent and see if that solves the issue or at least slows down what seems to be happening here. But also there's absolutely a case to be made that the writing is on the wall here. It's just, it's never going to be clean the way these things end. Can we move on to the Titans for a minute? Because the one uh, is as Weird and a crushing loss this was for New England and what it might signify for a team that actually has a lot of work to do, the Patriots, I think, on the roster. This was a franchise-altering win for the Titans, who I think in this era have been laughed at, chuckled at, seen as just a little bit above average. A totally special season by Derrick Henry. I mean, what he did and that you knew... like. Their leading receiver was Anthony Ferkser with 23 yards off Ferkser. two catches. If you knew, if you looked at the box score of the receiving crew for Tennessee, you would think they're going to get knocked around here. And Tannehill was 72 yards. It was Derrick Henry and nothing else. 72 and yards, a pick, and a fumble. We've seen this in New England before because Luke Blunt used to do it to the Colts all the time yeah. where you go for 150 and three touchdowns. I just thought that this was a huge moment for Mike Rabel. And the one thing I felt about the Titans this whole game and really the Dolphins the week before. This is the, the new approach to, my, to, to New England is these teams had literally no fear of the Patriots. The Titans had no fear of New England at all and went in there and put it on them. That's concerning. It's not just Tom Brady or no Tom Brady. They have a lot of work to do on this roster. Right, but I, I totally agree. It was, it was one of the worst 
Patriots teams of the last 20 years. Like they, but it was a team that made a playoff run. I was sort of surprised. I, you know, I picked the Titans because I thought they were the much better team. I was sort of surprised how winnable this game was for the Patriots. I mean, the right. Titans offense scored 14 points. The, With the, a running back running wild over right, your they had, they had nine possessions, and they went 14 points. I think the plan was essentially to take away the play-action game, which you spoke about beautifully on our show, Wes, and they totally did it. And they didn't contain Henry as much as they would like, but they also only gave up two touchdowns in nine drives, which to me against the Titans offense, I was sort of stunned to see it. And it took a lot of self-inflicted errors by the Patriots. If Julian, like the Julian Edelman drop in this in the the last offensive drive that they have, which just ended the ended that drive, and it, he led the league in drops this year. He was more banged up than Tom Brady at the end of the year, which I, I thought hurt them uh, as much as anything. A ton. The Shaq Mason illegal man downfield, which took them out of field goal range. In Sony the, Michelle tackle for loss at right. the goal line. Like Sony Michelle show dude, up in this like game. They, they had a first and goal at the one-yard line and didn't score. A lot of that it was, was, the like, big one. was self-inflicted errors, although you should get, I do give credit to Rashawn Evans of the Titans who made a couple amazing yeah. plays on the goal That was goal the line. first time in the Patriots era that they had first and goal uh, from that distance and did not get a touchdown. Wow. That had never happened in their playoff history with Brady. The, by the way, the back to the Titans doing absolutely nothing in their passing game. Uh, Tannehill throws for 72 yards. Their leading receiver, Anthony Ferkser, two for 23 on three targets. A.J. Brown, who we I were mean, anointing. I mean, we mentioned that, but yes. Yeah, uh, yeah, we're anointing as a you know all-time great. One for four. On one target, did he get hurt? Did I? What? No, he had Gilmore on him. You're and going against the best secondary. Of the they, last I mean, New England. Devontae Parker had no had problem with the best but secondary. They, but that was one of the things I wanted to talk about before this game. That Devontae Parker is a much different kind of receiver than AJ a. Brown. He's a catch point leaper, jump ball specialist, and he won at the catch point against Stephon Gilmore. AJ Brown's a run after the catch receiver. And, and yeah. to Tannehill's credit, I know eight for fifteen, seventy-two yards. The touchdown throw was a third and long. Was perfect. The third and nine to basically put the game away uh, was also a big time play. And Belichick kept playing on the defense. And it kind of, you could see with the entire offseason plan that this was what they were hoping to do. And they just thought the offense would would be better than this. Because you could see it in the resources. They brought everyone back in, in a year that they no one really expected that to happen. To keep Hightower, to keep McCourty, to have all this money in their defense, not spend nearly as much in the offense. And you kind of look at a game like this and you see, well, I guess that could have worked. The offense just needed to not right. completely fall through the, the ground, and it did. By the way, Tom Steyer, you're running for president. I think we get it. <laughs> <laughs> How many ads do we need to see over the course of the two games on Saturday? I'm not, I think I saw 30 ads for Tom Steyer running for president. Want to take a trip? Yeah. Back five years ago when Greg used to be our boss and the editor Ooh. downstairs in the newsroom. Oh, no. He jumped in on news Not one really. day, and he wrote this about Tom Brady's father predicting how it would end. It will end badly. It does end badly. And I know that because I know Tommy wants to do. He wants to play until he's 70. It's a cold business, and for as much as you want it to be familial, it isn't. Right. It, <laughs> he's 42. I think that's – I mean, I guess it doesn't get lost. But it's over, Greg. He won a Super Bowl at 41, 39, and 37. It's like, what, what are let we – Let him go, man. Right. What are we expecting here? I'm with you. I kind of let him go. I wouldn't mind – I wanted him to retire last year. I would love for him You're to retire. You're protecting him. Who's throwing the ball better, Tom Brady or Josh McCown this weekend? 
I think Josh Brady. McCown. Great. Josh McCown and some lasers. One more Titans note, and of course the Titans uh, now draw the Chiefs at Arrowhead. Uh, no, excuse me. The Titans get Baltimore. Uh, tough sitch for Baltimore. I think they would have loved seeing Saturday Houston night. come in there. Tough, say tough sitch. Craig's <laughs> <laughs> adopting it. One thing you need to know is that Derrick Henry has had 67 touches in the last two weeks. Can he keep it up? Can they make him the focal point at that level? And can he stay healthy? That's really the question He's, I have. You know, these names become holy to us, but he's playing Earl Campbell football yes. for the last two months. 67 touches. He's just imposing his will. Right. I think the the Patriots thought we can tackle better than other teams. And they did for most of the game, but like not enough. Like you cannot contain that guy. Ross Tucker has been saying it for a while. He thinks he's the hardest like physical man, like specimen to tackle in NFL history. There's been no one that big, that fast that can get to the outside like that. You know, Dan, what, uh, before, th- yeah. this is just goes back to kind of just the, the professionalism that sure. oozes out of us. Sure, sure, sure. When we did a segment on TrueView technology, mm. we had a chance to pick any type of Titans play, but we, we, pick? we, we picked, uh, obviously, Derrick Henry because Derek we Henry. felt he'd have a big impact on the affair. Great sitch for us. Totally right. Present. Uh, and you have really to good analysis that Henry would be a factor. In well, this. you know, listen, sometimes you can't get too cute. <laughs> and you should know, Greg, speaking of class yeah. X, that I do have the Patriots radio call, the pick six. But I know you've been through a lot, so I'm not going to Bring it on. I want to hear it. You know what? The, the only annoying I, I mean, part of I just want to be nice to Greg. He's no, going through a lot. And you can hear it in his voice. Let's play it. Let's play it. All right. Let's play it. What the hell? I didn't. I wasn't going to, but. Sanu in short motion with the right as Brady takes the snap. It's Drop over. Back, fires underneath for Sanu. Ball's tipped. Intercepted by Logan Ryan, who hops into the end zone. So pick cheap. six. Was that fitting? To sure end is. It here in the postseason with nine seconds to go. Although it is a seven-point game at 2013. If you're Mike Vrabel, do you go for two? I think you do. You go for two to score a touchdown. Vrabel and conversion. Vrabel is exactly doing that right now. And he hopped into the end zone with. The Titans in a 20 to 13. It's a morgue in Foxborough. Wait, so is it, is it still going to be over years. when uh, Jarrett Stidham gets Adam Gase fired in week six next year? And you, guys <laughs> you, can't hurt me. you can't hurt me. Not today, Greg. Not this weekend. I lost this sandwiches been, on Jarrett Stidham, by the way. It is. I have to this say. This has been an incredible uh, I know. seven I, days. I thought of me. you more. Like, I, it was a little tricky because I missed the beginning of this game. I had promised like a, a soccer game. I watched game every second. For, with Walker, and then the overtime in the first game was a problem. And so I ended up watching you know, the rest of it with my son and, and uh, catching up later. And I was thinking like, Doing this recap with you bothers me a lot more than uh, doing this, like watching the game. The game's fine. It's kind of a relief because this was clearly not a championship uh, team, and we're not going to be able to watch them next week in person. Let's move on just with the football. Yeah, no, Greg, I, I would suggest that you try to experience an 0-16 Brown season and being on the show with emergency podcasts when the coach is fired left and right. You know, everyone's giggling and having a great time. That's not a whole lot of fun. I, and I just have to say, it, it really has been since 2001 – that team and that quarterback has ruled the AFC East. Now, they've ruled the NFL, the AFC, but especially the division. If you're a Jets, if you're a Bills, if you're a Dolphins fan, it is unreal, the chaos that has unfurled over the last two decades. It's such a strange feeling to, to be watching that game and sensing that division's about to open up again. And I, re- I mean, the Patriots might reload and still dominate because they have the best decision makers. Uh, but things are changing. Or we're in a post-Patriots world. It's certainly possible. All right. See, that, I'm not rubbing it in, Greg. It's just there. there is a bit of a celebration that cannot be um, avoided because it's been very hard. 
It's been very hard. I, I feel for you. We like to see Rome burn. I mean, you want to see these epic dynasties You've crumble. You've been a very lucky football fan. I've said that so many times. <laughs> you mocked how many times I've said it. I mean, it is. That's, that's sort of where I'm at. On, on an unprecedented level. All right. We have one more game to talk about. It was a dandy. Bring back dandy. It's back in 2020. It's been done. <laughs> dandy. Deshaun calling for the ball on second and six at the Bills 44. Here's the snap. Here's a blitz. Watson in trouble. Watson escapes to the right side. And Watson throws it to Jones. Cutting inside 40, 35, 30. The 25, 20, 15. And down to the 10-yard line. What a play. The magician does it again. And he finds Taiwan Jones for a huge catch and run to get the Texans in field goal range. What a play. Oh, my goodness. Mark Vandermeer with the call for the Texans Radio Network. Yes, Deshaun Watson. That magic is real. The magician. I don't know if that's a thing, but all right. Watson was at his best in the second half in overtime against the Bills, making plays with his legs, with his arm, leading the Texans to a 22-19 comeback win at Raucous Reliance Stadium. They did a nice job in that building. They did a nice job. Uh, Watson's escape act and completion to Taiwan Jones set up the game winner by Kiami Fairbairn. Um, with 4.32 to play in overtime. Greg, according to one metric I saw on Twitter, the Bills had a 91% chance of victory hmm. at one point in this game. They were up 16 nothing, of course. But the Texans found a way. Yeah, that 91% didn't take Josh Allen into account. I mean, Josh Allen has a way of looking like one of the best quarterbacks possible in the first half. I mean, he played – even his incompletions were great throws or right on the money. Like, made good decisions as athletic as possible and did as good a chance, you know, as as if he was trying to lose the game in the second half. He was a total disaster. And so 91% doesn't take that into account. And it doesn't take into account Sean McDermott and the Bills, I think, not being as aggressive as they could be. Uh, in the second half because they're some they're somehow afraid of what Josh Allen might do and then having their worst fears realized and not having kind of another move. You know, everyone who loves Sean McDermott as a coach has to admit you, you coach for 60 minutes and coaching is about adjustments. And ultimately, like Romeo Cornell and Bill O'Brien and mostly Deshaun Watson figured out the Bills defense enough and Josh Allen gave the the Texans a chance to win. I mean, if he doesn't fumble to start the fourth quarter, they win. I don't know what was period. Josh like Allen. it wasn't the JJ Watt sack suddenly gave everyone life. I mean, they kicked a field goal. It absolutely that was, over. was that. Was it? JJ, well, this team was dead but until here, JJ Watt made that I, play. I get it, but that was third. They had no pulse. I get it, but it was third. I, I hear you. The, the crowd was good, but it was third and 10. There, it, all they did was not pick that up. They hit the field goal. And Josh Allen gets the ball back, and they still are in total control of that game, and then he fumbles, and that, that's where that, it starts. That play was pivotal. That was, that was a to, big play. To sell that as if J.J. Watt's play did not fire up his team, you're denying reality. I don't know what was the, the Josh Allen play that I'll remember the most, but I, I've rarely seen any player collapse the way he did. It, you could point to the lateral 
uh, at midfield in the final uh, <laughs> two an minutes of the game. Lineman. That was uh, that was he got bailed out because of bounce out of bounds. Got swatted out of bounds. How about the bomb into double coverage to the fullback? I've never seen that play before in my life. The decision making. The kid was on tilt, and then even the play he takes a, a grounding penalty. They were in field goal range. Uh, this is earlier in the fourth quarter. He takes an intentional grounding, then takes a sack and fo- sack and fourth and twenty six. When he had two dropped interceptions in in that whole final sequence too. That would have ended the game before. And I'll just say this. This isn't a, a popular take because I know the general consensus was that he was great in the first half and he certainly had moments, especially with his legs. But there was also a drop pick six in the first half and a very near miss on a fumble. So it was just it became to me an idea of he was playing with fire in the first half and it seemed to be breaking his way. And then it all came tumbling down when the pressure came. And if I'm a Bills fan, I'm totally spooked after what happened in this game. I spent this game with Bills fans early on at a, uh, I think we have some footage if you're watching the YouTube show, up at Busby's West, which I went there 10 years ago for an NFL.com story, and it was a smaller room of Bills fans. This was like a six-room party, and these people were high-flying. And I do think that what they witnessed in the first half was a Bills team with an awesome plan, and they they got as much as they could out of their limited roster on offense. And Josh Allen actually, I thought, gave you a lot of hope for the future, and he's a danger to deal with when he's on. But what happened in the second half, to Greg's point, is I thought that Brian Dable and Sean McDermott looked at a 16 nothing lead and stopped being aggressive. Right. When you know that Deshaun Watson is at some point going to start to break through, as ugly as that first half was, you could just feel everything start to turn. And before he had that pass to Taiwan Jones, he made an incredible—excuse me, before he ran for that incredible 20-yard touchdown run, which was a thing of beauty— he made a throw to DeAndre Hopkins where two guys came in and essentially destroyed him, and he had the grit to get the ball out. Perfect dart to Hopkins, and that saved that drive. I just thought that Houston figured out their problems in time and adjusted, as you mentioned, where the Bills completely felt planless in the second half, uh, I, you know, combined with their own mistakes. I thought the first 40 minutes were like an extreme example of my vision for the game where it was going to be the matchups in the Bills' favor, the coaching in the Bills' favor, and then for the last 30 minutes, the Tex- the Texan star power took over and Dan's like extreme version of his vision for the game where J.J. Watt, to Dan's credit, like what if he does show up and play a big game and he had the big tackle for loss on Frank Gore in a big spot? He had a third down rush that caused a bad throw on Josh Allen in another spot. He was huge and, and all the credit in the world to him to to go out and you know sort of author his own history here to change the course of his team's season and rushing back from an injury when people told him he wouldn't even be able to make it back. And it seemed like he was only in on pass rushing downs early on, and then by money time, the guy's on the field making big plays in in the running game. The play, the Deshaun Watson play, and I think it's, to me, the signature play of his career so far now, uh, the Taiwan Jones completion, and Jones deserves credit too because he made a guy miss and then rumbled. Jones, by the way, has had one, he's been in the league since 2011, one year where he had 100 yards receiving. Every other year, it's down like 0, 9, 11, 43, 11, 25, 55. I mean... They moved him to cornerback at one point. Watch watch that play again. I actually broke it down in slow motion. Uh, I sent out a tweet earlier today. So you have... Uh, I'm, Apologies for if I mispronounce the name, but Saran Neal coming on one end at a blitz, uh, the safety. On the other side, it's Matt Milano. So Watson senses... At the very last second, Neil and steps up and and it goes from a kill shot to a glancing blow, but still pretty hard hit. But then Milano comes and it's a straight shot right 
in Watson's grill, and he just bounces off him. He literally, Matt Milano, who's a big dude, a professional athlete, uh, bounces off Watson, who then spins out and makes the pass. I've just, I've never seen a linebacker uh, run into a wall like that. Well, he's, see, Saran Neal is, is twisting Watson and, and throws yeah, him that, into Milano. I think if only one of those guys comes free, he probably gets sacked. That's a Either, good call I mean, right there. It's a remarkable play by one of the great athletes and the and and they made the call the the quarter the coach the college coach Sweeney or Sweeney he was the guy that said this is Michael Jordan don't pass on him that's Jordan stuff it really is absolutely and I think that you're going to see that play when he retires and you know God willing he stays healthy goes in the Hall of Fame that is a, a nightmare scenario for Micah Hyde who's one of their best players and just completely whiffs Bad on, on Taewon Jones in the open field that. Play kills Sean McDermott, I'm sure. But the third and 18 that they picked up on a very oh, simple so pass bad. over the middle to a running back earlier in the drive, to me, is the bigger kill. And that's, I guess, to me, the whole game was a reminder. It's so hard to win if you don't have a reliable passing game. Like, that's it. If you do not have a quarterback that can hit a variety of routes in a passing game that does not rely, you know, rely on a bunch of trick plays and your quarterback running and shot plays for a guy who's not that accurate, it's really hard to win. Because as Wes said, they did so many different things. But when push came to shove at the end of the game, what were they doing? They were just running Josh Allen. Most of the, in the key spots of the game late, and some of it worked. I mean, he ran for 92 yards. It certainly worked early. They weren't, saying, okay, let's go to the slant for John Brown. They were saying, like, let's have Josh Allen run. And that instinct is partly why he fumbled. I mean, that was on a scramble. And it was partly out of a lack of faith in their own quarterback. And then you get into a situation where you should be up by more than 16 nothing, And it's still 2019. And defenses have a hard time keeping you down all game. And at one sequence, you know, when, when the Texans were rolling, they go touchdown, field goal, touchdown. I mean, the defense still did blow a 16 nothing. Yes, lead. they did. Yeah, but they're put in a tough situation, too. I th- one little note on that Taiwan Jones throw. Mike Silver wrote a pretty... Gate, pretty gray, um, pretty sorry, pretty awesome write up on this thing. And he, Watson noted that Kevin Johnson, who's on the Bills, knew the Texan signals. He was a former Texan secondary player and like basically had to work around the fact that he knew that this player knew exactly what he was going to do. And that's how the ball wound up in Taiwan Jones's hands. So, mm. unbelievable. And- Kevin Singletary, like his performance. Like, you look at the box score and you wouldn't... I mean, it still was pretty great. It was over 130 yards from scrimmage. How's Frank Gore getting nine carries in this game? Or nine touches? Right. Singletary's doing something every time he it, touched it the ball. It is unbelievable how many... My goodness. Like, broken tackles he made. It, this was, like, the ultimate Twitter changed their mind from, like, the first... <laughs> if you read Twitter for the first three quarters, oh, Bill yeah. O'Brien's the biggest idiot ever. Sean McDermott's a genius. Josh Allen is amazing. Deshaun Watson took too many hits during the season. Yeah, which doesn't... Hey, by the way, you're, you're sort of telling on yourself that because they pass protected great all season and Deshaun Watson played absolutely terrible for the like it's weird that well, Watson's one of these guys that because of himself right Watson's one of these guys that for whatever reason like people are afraid to say played better he came out and the moment felt a little too big for him like he was trying to go hero ball and he had probably about the worst two and a half quarters yet they didn't have 100 yards until midway through the third quarter and a lot of it was him just kind of not taking what was there and taking sacks that he didn't need to McDermott in addition to going for it on 4th and 27 at Houston's 42-yard line and giving Frank Gore, all due respect, Greg, eight touches, 
They Cole Beasley had a big fourteen. Cole Beasley run. had a really nice uh, season, and I don't know if he's beat up or what. But Duke Williams outsnapped Cole Beasley. Like what? I don't know. Duke Williams played well. I yeah, but Beasley was a great guy for them. Yeah, that's a good. And question. after Maybe all that, like it was size. it was first and ten at the forty-three for the Bills in overtime. I mean, there was so many game management that's going to stick decisions with Bills in this game that yeah. were fascinating. The, the Bill O'Brien, I think, did a good thing taking the field goal uh, instead like of move. going for the fourth down to go down five. That ended up paying off pretty well. The fact that he went for fourth down—I mean, all they needed was a foot, and the game was over. I was going to go play that soccer game with. Walker at that 45 minutes later the game's still going the kickoff return or the kickoff that was a touchdown originally yes uh, I don't want to hear Bill's fans complaining about that because they won a game earlier this year when it was ruled that Tredavious White gave himself up on an interception that the Bengals would have won the game if it wasn't ruled that way they know about this rule mm. that it's the referee's discretion when a when a player gives himself up and Mike Pereira even said on that kickoff return as soon as the guy tosses the ball to the official officials know that means right. you're giving it, yourself up it happens all over Thank the Thank god league. they got that Every right week, it yeah. was kind of like oh a perfect goodness. start to what was one of the wildest second half and then overtime playoff periods we've ever seen I mean that was it was like the perfect start to what was about to come I just I don't want to get too down on Sean McDermott though because it's like no. this is a learning curve you're learning how to get out of these big games I find the Bills fans quietly went through a lot of like coach GM drama for a long long time and they've got they're building something I think they've got questions at the quarterback situation but I don't question the coach I, I don't. don't but it's it was not it's a great. Tough. I get not, no, no, especially get, the kind of things that get you all fired up. Yes, and it's no, understandable. Was, but the game management was not great. But done he's, a, it's listen, still that's a good culture there. They've done a there terrific job. I just would worry that you, just because you've built something doesn't mean a you're going to be back here very often, or b that no. the, the flaw, the reason you lost this game, is going to change it all, and you don't want to waste that. Well, it, I think if you're a Bills fan, or if you, even if you're in the Bills front office, you have to be thrilled with how the season went, and you have to be thrilled that Josh Allen showed some development this year. Let's give Josh Allen the final word. Every every loss is personal, and um, you know if I can go out there and execute differently, and you know hindsight's twenty twenty. But there's some things we, we should have you know hit on, um, you know, and put that on my shoulders, um, especially with how well our defense played today. So um, teams go how their their quarterbacks usually go, and um, I got to be better for this team. And now the Texans go mm. to Kansas City, where Will Fuller, Wes, hypothetically. We'll be back on the field, which they obviously didn't. They beat that. the Chiefs in Kansas City. Yeah, that City was, the, that was when we were in I London. I feel like they've been chasing that performance all year. That was kind of their high water mark of the season. Was that win? Uh, I feel like the Chiefs have improved since then. The Chiefs have. Well, but the, the Chiefs are the only team. To, to my point, there's no guarantee of being back there next year. They're the only team that was in the divisional round a year ago that's back. Like that. Like. That is how hard it is to reap. Like seven of eight of the teams did not make it, is, it that far. It's honestly surreal that we're going to be following divisional round football and the Patriots aren't involved. Surreal and for you and for others, mm. slightly delightful. I mean, fresh blood's good. It is. I think it is for sports. I mean, not every team had Andrew Luck retire also, but that didn't help the call. All right. So let's, uh, again, I've mentioned these games in passing so far, but here's the schedule for next weekend. Minnesota at San Francisco, 435. On Saturday, the late game, Tennessee at Baltimore, 8.15 Eastern kick. On Sunday, Houston at Kansas City, 3.05 kickoff. And then the late game, Seattle at Green Bay, 6.40. Going to be a cold one in Lambeau, potentially, Marky Mark. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I, With I, a C? I guess, you know, they put it the, the one game on the West Coast as an early game. And like a, a such a scenario in Green Bay where it's going to be like one degree with wind chill up to like, you know, 400 miles an hour. So have a nice time with that, Seattle. Can I make a quick announcement? Absolutely. We have a lot of listeners down under in Australia and they are really battling some brush fryers there that have gone crazy. I think 500,000 animals have already been lost. Mm. Um, you're all in our thoughts. We hope the best for you. And if people out there want to give... To help out some of these animals and people who need the money and for the fire crews that definitely need some money. Some uh, avenues are the Rural Fire Service, Wires Animal Rescue, and the Australian Red Cross. There you go. Help those people out in need. Uh, we will be back on Tuesday with another edition of the podcast as we turn our attention. We're down to eight now. More dirt naps, Mark. More dirt naps. Four Why more does Wes naps. have Johnny Manziel's pro football reference page open? I'm going to ask him. We're down to seven that. games, unless you count the granddaddy of them all, the Pro Bowl. I do. Then we have eight. <laughs> we don't have to cover it, so I don't count it. That's the way I look at it. Um, yeah, we'll be back Tuesday. Uh, then Thursday, we'll preview divisional round. And a reminder, yes, the Around the NFL broadcast on NFL Network mm. is back for our second episode. See, it's, it's, everybody can do one episode. But now we got to go back and figure out how to fill another, you know, 22 minutes. That's the challenge we face. Yeah, we just filled about 74. I think we'll figure it out. It's different. <laughs> we uh, that's that's the one thing I learned in the first week. It ain't the same. We uh, we <laughs> it ain't the same. We are on YouTube live r- almost right after these games, and we will the time will be later next week because the game is later. It's a what a, a 6:40 Eastern start. But so if you don't want to wait till you get the podcast, you can check it out almost right after the, the final Packers-Seahawks uh, whistle sounds. And, Greg, remember, don't be mad it's over. Be happy that it happened I'm happy. at all. I'm happy, mm. baby. I love Tom football. Brady walks into that, you know, like the football life opening animation of the man in the shadows walking in the tunnel? Yes. That, that's where we're at. <laughs> the tunnel, man. <laughs> Ricky, can we get some football life music? No. Okay. <laughs> She's not going to play along with that. All right. This is it. That's it. Let's go home. This is Dan Hansen signing off for Quiet Storm, the mailman, the old boss, Ricky Hollywood, Ryan Bartlett, and everybody behind the glass. Thank you. Till Tuesday. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.